Whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. And now, here's a double shot from our featured artist today, Forrest Isn't Dead. And stay tuned for that interview. It comes up right after these songs.
from their brand new release and we got the whole band as they're traveling right now on the line right now hey Forrest how you doing I'm doing great how are you doing I'm doing pretty well 
Now, uh, this is the first time that uh, you have been on our show, and we always like to get things rolling by giving our fans an opportunity to kind of get to know who you guys are and how you got to where you are today. So if you could, give us the story of Forest Isn't Dead and introduce yourselves to everyone out there. All right. Well, my name is Forrest, and uh, I'm going to start off by letting the rest of the band members introduce themselves. To my left, in the back seat, I've got... I'm Jordy. I'm on drums. Uh, I'm Kamani. I'm on bass. I'm Matt. I play guitar. I'm Wes. I play Keith. And, yeah, and uh, together we make Forrest Isn't Dead, and uh, we kind of produce some music as a band. And we actually, I would say, kind of started this brand in 2018, but we all kind of had different things going on beforehand. Uh, me and Wes and Matt worked on other projects uh, before we decided to do the Forest Isn't Dead brand, which is what we uh, kind of solely focus on right now. Jordy has a couple different projects he's working on that are really cool. Uh, you know, so we all dabble in music in our own ways. Okay, well, you know, I noticed you put the drummer in the back seat, which seems to be something that a lot of bands do. Uh, and hey, I'm in the back seat with him. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now I have to ask you now: How did that name come about? Forest isn't dead. What is the story on that? I was actually driving uh, home. I lived with Wes, the keyboardist at the time, and we were trying to think of a new brand name for the new direction that we were taking. And my first thought was Forest is Alive, which did not sound all that cool to me. And then I was like, what's another way to say that? And then it was Forest isn't dead. And, uh, yeah, it might, like I said, my name is Forrest. So, you know, it kind of, before it was a band, we kind of envisioned it being more of a solo thing, and then it just kind of grew into a band. Okay. Uh, yeah. Now, Forrest, let me ask you, uh, since you're kind of the front guy of the band, uh, what was that moment for you in your career, your life? You know, because every, every artist has that crossroad moment, you know, that moment where you could have been an accountant or a musician. What was that moment that really sent you down this path to, to music? I may be uh, an exception to that rule slightly because there was never really a moment where I decided to do anything other than music. Uh, when I was really young, like two or three years old, my dad was roommates with this metal band uh, in Atlanta. And um, I would sit on their practices and they would put me on the mic and I'd like, scream into the mic with them as like a three, four-year-old baby. And then when I was six, I found Slipknot, and I heard Joey Jordanson on drums and was like, I'm definitely going to be a drummer. And then I started off with drums and then picked up guitar when I was 12, and I practiced as much as possible. And then about 14, I started like singing and producing, not well at all, uh, uh, but, yeah, and then I just practiced and practiced until I think I was, like, 19 when I met Wes, the keyboardist, and then he really, like, mentored me and taught me a lot of what I know now about production and singing and stuff up until, yeah, up until now. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of how that happened. All right. 
Now, let's talk a little bit about this new release. Um, when you were putting this together, what was your goal for this? What were you looking to achieve with this release? Uh, really, I wanted to introduce people to the brand and also create a safe haven for people who can relate to the lyrics and the introspection and uh, just the look on human emotion and uh, and partly on the experience with death and also growing into being a better person and creating a safe space for people to experience that type of stuff with us as we grow up as well. Okay. Now, let's talk a little bit about you guys as songwriters. Uh, because, let's face it, every release really needs to start with good songs. Uh, when you start that process to begin writing, what what's kind of the mechanism that you use that allows you to tap into the muse, either personally or collectively as a band? So we actually start with production. And on this first record, uh, it was a little more electronically done than how we intend to do in the future. Uh, but really, me, Matt, and Wes, because we actually started this album uh, like a little bit before COVID. Uh, and so, yeah, we would just open up the laptop and the keyboards and guitar and just kind of like pass it back and forth until we got the record going. And then at some point during the recording process, I decided to quit writing and just say like what was on my mind. So a lot of the songs like uh, Even Here We Are, like that, I think the take we ended up using, that was like my first take through I didn't write anything. I was just like off the top um, going in on it. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I try to just tap into how I feel and what I feel like I want to say to people and then just like let the words and melodies kind of flow out from there. So basically you produce like a, a, a the backing tracks to that and then you lay out your, your lyric after after the fact, after you have that structure in there, correct? Right, yeah. We'll produce the song first, like a like a demo status, and then <clears throat> record demo vocals and then we'll go back in with uh Wyatt Oates and Tanner Hendon at Madison Records and kind of expand upon the idea that uh the me and the band have started. Okay. Now, you know, um, a lot of um, songwriters, um, they struggle with that moment when the song, you know, when is the song done? When is it ready to kind of get out there and, and, and you know, put it out there? What What is your quantifier that you use that allows you to determine when the song is finished? When everybody else tells me it's done because it's <laughs> never actually to you ever yeah well you know a lot of songwriters you know they tell me that they don't finish a song they just abandon them i wouldn't say abandon but i would <laughs> just say get it as good as you possibly can and then let the other people around you tell you that this is good for okay. release i mean i feel good about everything we do like i don't mean it like that but you know yeah I you're know. always as a creator feeling like there's more you could do now, you had mentioned that, you know, during the writing process, you're doing a lot of the production on your laptop, utilizing, you know, whatever software you're using. What what software do you use? What What's your DAW? Uh, we use Logic Pro. Jordy uses Ableton. And, and yeah, so me, Kamani, Wes, and Matt use Logic, and then Jordy is the outlier with Ableton. <laughs> okay. 
Now, let's talk about going into the studio, you know, the studio proper uh, for the final tracks. Uh, You know, uh, having a good song is only half the equation. Getting that sound that defines not only you as an artist, but the song itself is an art form in itself. What is kind of your process when you go into that environment that helps you capture the sound you're looking for? Really just uh, trying to get as full of expression as I can and then just letting my emotions kind of take over rather than focusing on sounding a certain way or like accomplishing a certain style, more so just like doing what feels right to us rather than being like, yeah, let's make a song that sounds like this. It's like, let's just make a song and see where it goes. Okay. Now, uh, tell me um, a little bit about um, uh, getting it out there and your team that you've put together to kind of um, create your 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 buzz. What 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 does your team look like right now? So we have two managers, uh, Sean McPherson and Daniel DeZuko. We got the boys in the band. We got a booking agent and Kevin. And we have the record label and the Orchard. Uh, really, as far as promotion goes, uh, the Orchard and Madison Records uh, have like a big part in that. And they really, they really help us out on that front. Okay. Now, um, let's talk a little bit about the music industry. Things that have changed over the last 25 years with the digital revolution. And the elephant in the room here is that the consumer has really embraced streaming as a way to consume music. They're listening to music differently than when I grew up. You know, it was a very tactile experience for me where you had a physical product, you put it into a, a, a player and you, it was an active uh, experience. Today, it's more passive. You're creating soundtracks or playlists that are soundtracks to your life. The problem is, is that streaming has really uh, shifted the consumer's perception of recorded music from a product to purchase to a service they expect to have on their phones for free. How has that shift in perception affected you as an artist? Uh, We haven't really been making music back then. Wes actually might have more to say about this because he's been making music way more... uh, way longer than like i have so he's so, the uh, old guy he, yeah he's the old guy he's the big yeah as far as that, uh into streaming i don't know I, I think we all kind of embrace it that it's not even something we really think about in the process of it's us it's it's the band is the brand and is the product you know it's kind of how we've always approached it instead of the music being the product like you're talking about with the older model but it's Mm -hmm. definitely getting the band and the band's values and the things we represent are really our primary goals more than selling people on an in particular song you know okay well you know it's interesting because you know if you look at streaming i mean it's it is a double-edged sword you have that huge potential market that you have access to through streaming through the algorithms through you know the discovery um uh 
algorithms that you know Spotify uses and so forth. But then you have that decrease in revenue that streaming really gives to the independent artist. And one of the yeah. problem is is that the record labels went to Spotify, Pandora, and they worked out their own deals and pretty much left a smaller piece of the pie for the independent artist to kind of tap into. And if you really look at it, um, the bulk of content on these platforms are not from the major labels. They are from independent artists. They make mm-hmm. up the bulk of content. So it's really a big disparity. Uh, and it's it's not sustainable as a business model because if you can't recoup your investment on a recorded project, it becomes very difficult to justify that. Um, I read an article in um, Billboard magazine that that said of the billions of dollars that um, are generated in the music industry, only 12% of that money actually gets back to the creators themselves. Um, what do you Something think? Like that too. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, definitely that too. I, I think you're right that if there's a problem right now, in the music is undervalued as a, as a product and as a service. It's not optimal. Things are not in the artist's favor. It definitely lands more on the large company side. There's, there's probably things that'll happen in the future because things like people going with an NFT or doing a direct release to their fans, like you could probably get a million of your fans to pay you a dollar for a song in some other format that you can't get to right now in the current streaming yeah, and you know, well, one of the biggest problems is is that in the music industry, there is too many hands out. There are too many middlemen, you know, whether it's uh, an aggregator, a distributor, a label, a streaming service, everyone's got their hand out. Um, and it's always been that way. There's always been too many hands in the pie. Uh, but unfortunately, now it's it's so many that the artist is at the end of the, the line. Um but there is technology coming down the pike that uh, the new buzzword seems to be decentralization of the music industry. In other words, mm-hmm. taking out these large corporations and companies and making it, making it more a fan and artist direct link, something like... Um, uh, the the new streaming services that are being created on the blockchain, which is that technology yeah. that uh, made cryptocurrency uh, available, uh, like Audius and Emanate, um, they're basically streaming services that uh, are not, they're decentralized on the blockchain, so they're not being controlled by any corporation. And even with royalties, um, like Royal.io, allows artists to create NFTs that represent a portion of their streaming royalties, which they can now sell to their fan base. And now their fan base has an economic interest in making sure that their music is streamed. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, that's kind of in stock in the artist. Right. Yeah, right. Audius is that's, uh, heavy on our radar. Like when Audius did that TikTok deal to monetize viral sounds i definitely think you're right that blockchaining streaming services in the future would definitely put the power back in the artist's hands if you wouldn't have a lot of intermediates between you and your music and the people consuming it 
Yeah, and I think I think going into the decentralized route is is a smarter route or a smarter business model for the independent artist because you can maintain that direct connection to your fan base, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, it definitely seems like the future. There's not a real great reason why Spotify is still taking lion's shares. There's definitely other methods to do this. You know, I think there's even like with the Music Modernization Act, I think the business was really slow to make a plan, you know, to right. pick a direction and figure out how do we actually get the value that this thing clearly has. The music is definitely undervalued right now in the current system. And, and I definitely agree with you on that. And, you know, um, I think uh, as we move forward, uh, we, we definitely need to, you know, band together as a group, as independent artists, and kind of really structure how this new technology is being used so it's not corrupted by the large record companies, you know? Absolutely. Now, you know, one of the things that uh, has happened, especially since the pandemic, is that a lot of artists have started to really utilize um, this world of content creation and social media marketing. Um, and the brand now has become the new product. And uh, a lot of artists are starting to realize that the fans really want that behind the scenes, that um, they want to invest in the artists they listen to as people as well as as artists. What are some of the things that you guys are doing to... Um, to kind of um, utilize this world of content and social media marketing? It's definitely the big vehicle. You see the how synonymous it is. If you're looking at Spotify, that all the viral sounds on TikTok are right at the top of the charts on Spotify. So the, the connection's definitely obvious. But I think we're playing the same game everyone else is of like, now how do you stand out in this ocean? How do you make content that's true to you and not forced and not corny and doing things that, just to get more exposure on these platforms that maybe don't necessarily align with the values of what you want to be doing creatively, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, I think, you know, the one of the things that I think a lot of artists kind of miss the mark at is that you need to be authentic. Authenticity is <laughs> extremely important, especially on social media, because people can pick up on something that isn't right, isn't real, really fast. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely, 100%. Now, you guys have put out some uh, really interesting music videos. Tell me a little bit about that process that you'd go through in order to put one together. I'll go ahead and let Matt kind of answer some of this because he's been spearheading some of the uh, creative direction for the visual campaign on this project. Okay. Yes. Um, there's kind of a, I guess, like, double-sided answer to this question. Um, one is, you know, we've made a couple music videos with um, uh, Matt, Grant, uh, uh, Resolve Media. Media. I don't know why. I'm, 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 like, driving right now, so my mind is like... <laughs> Resolve's a great... <laughs> Resolve has done, like, Bad and Bougie in this long list of hit number one rap Staple, songs. Playboy yeah, yeah, yeah. Huge yeah. rap videos. They're great company. Yeah, top-notch for sure. Uh, and then also we've worked with um, the majority of the videos with Noah Lamport. Um, and so, like, he, you know, really, we, when it comes to conceptualizing a music video, we all kind of, like, 
we'll come to the table with our different ideas um, and then, you know, just kind of spitball back and forth and, uh, you know, until we land on something that, that we're all happy with. Um, but a lot of times we try to think about, you know, what what is the feeling that the song represents and how do we capture that in a, a visual way, you know, rather, and, and so not always leaning so much on like a, uh, a storyline or something like that, but just like, you know, trying to invoke an emotion through imagery. Okay. Uh, that definitely, um, you definitely pull it off because I think they're very unique in how they're put together as well as the the arrangements. Um, who does your production? Who's the producer on your um, recordings? On the on the the records? Yeah, on the record. Yeah, so like you know, um, Forrest, myself, and Wes, you know, on this first album primarily are are the. Uh, you know, the writers and producers of it, but we also work with uh, Tanner Hinden and Wyatt Oates over at Madison, uh, you know, and they help us with putting a lot of the, the finishing touches on, on the songs and getting, you know, getting the mix right and everything ready for mastering. Okay. Well, you know, I really appreciate you guys coming on the show and talking with me. It's uh, it's a real pleasure to have you on. And uh, we're going to give everyone out there a double shot from your brand new release. You guys are going to love this. You know what? Turn it up loud.
Whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. Shout now, honey. Gonna make 